Hello, friends. Thank you for not mocking me too badly when, uh, when I didn't know how to do the thing. Welcome. As, as uh, Todd mentioned, we are in this series on 1 Corinthians. If you were here last week, um, you would have heard Matt give us kicking off our, our summer series, which is called Life in the Body, with an excellent introduction that he gave us to this letter that we're going to be studying throughout this summer, that Paul's first letter to the Corinthians. So today we're going to be looking at 1 Corinthians chapters 3 and 4, which, although really I think we're, we're going to be focusing mostly on chapter 3, which is a, a little bit sad to me because I think chapter 4 is maybe some of the most beautiful stuff that Paul has ever written. But uh, if you would like to read along with us, we'll be doing, you can read ahead to chapters 5, 6, and 7 next week. And as Todd mentioned, join us Tuesday evening, 7.30, right in this room. If you have questions or would like to reflect back on anything that you're hearing or reading in 1 Corinthians. So last week, Mac, Matt laid out for us a, a conflict that's happening in the church in Corinth with people identifying themselves by the teaching of various apostles. I belong to Paul. I belong to Apollos. I belong to Cephas. I belong to just Jesus and no one else. So in response to this, Matt was pointed out that Paul's repeated, Paul's repeated use of the first person plural, our Lord Jesus Christ, we proclaim Christ crucified, we have the mind of Christ. Perhaps part of the problem that Paul is identifying in, in this divided Corinthian church is that people think in terms of I, me, my camp, my idea of what it means to follow Jesus, when the only church that could truly belong to Jesus is a we, whoever belongs to our Lord Jesus Christ. But all of that kind of raises all more questions about how we work out our belonging to one another and the broader church, which leads to the theme of this series, Life in the Body. How do we live with the unity and difference implied by describing Jesus' people as a body with many parts? Today, I want to focus on a thought that you might have had, um, maybe a thought that was like very deep in the back of your mind as you were listening to Matt speak last week. Maybe you are someone who hears this invitation to be a we, uh, uh, to belong to the collective body of God's people, and you think to yourself, yes, that, that sounds right. I see that in Scripture. I want that. I want to affirm the goodness of this collective life. But maybe you also think, the thing is, I kind of tried that, and, and it really hurt. I gave myself over to a church, and I kind of regret it. I listened to other people. I shared life with other people. I allowed other people fully into my life, and it led to some evil things. I kind of wish I hadn't shared a mind with other people. In fact, even as I do want to live in community, part of me wonders if the best way to be in community is to have really strong boundaries, to kind of keep everyone at an appropriate distance. If anything, I feel better, happier, more free now that I have my own mind. I make my own decisions. Letting the church have some say over my thoughts and feelings led to alienation and shame and self-hatred and devastation that my faith has barely survived. If that triggers something in you, maybe you 
you have thought those things. Maybe you have thought it is unchristian to think those things. You are not alone. It is a, it's a poorly kept secret, I think, at ECV that many, many people come to us because they have had a hard or confusing or just terrible experience with another church. This is not true of us in, in this is not true of all of us, and it's not true of us in every respect, but there are ways in which we are a church made up of people who have very nearly given up on church. Off the top of my head, I could think of probably five or six conversations just in the last few weeks with people at ECV that were primarily about the pain, working through the pain of some previous church experience. And I could think of a lot more examples of conversations in that same time frame when where some kind of confusion that was just left over from a previous experience was in the background. Full disclosure, it's, it's really hard to talk about, for us as a church, to talk about these things. It is, it is not great for our own discipleship to give in to a spirit of cynicism and harsh criticism, especially of other churches, especially churches we don't necessarily know firsthand. What is generally much better for our discipleship is, is to be humble and aware of our own sin. There is no point in pretending that we are a perfect church that has never hurt anybody. Some of you may have been hurt by this church. Some of you may have hurt, have hurt from past churches, and we have only confirmed your suspicions about churches. It's also hard because at ECV, uniquely in some ways, we bring together an incredible variety of church backgrounds. Different denominations, different experiences, different expectations, different definitions. Literally anything I could say about the church, someone here could say to me, well, that's not quite my experience, and they would be right. And somehow we have to hold all of that together in one community. Besides our own humility, we can also just get anxious about these things. We, we do sometimes worry that if we talk too honestly about everything the church does wrong, past and present, will you still want to be around this church? We can talk about the failures of the church, but also at some point you're going to realize, like, wait, is this a church? This is a church, right? Yes, it is. And it's not necessarily totally different from other churches that have hurt you. I know it's confusing because we're constantly giving you little samples of grape juice, but this is not an actual vineyard. <laughs> someone out there, I know, I, I know someone out there has been like, straight talk, y'all. Your wine is terrible. <laughs> but, but your music is great. You guys should really think about becoming a church. And it's like, you're right. Hopefully I'm not breaking news to you, but this, where you are right now, this is a Christian church. Oh, that's nice. That's nice. I'm actually a little disappointed that none of you went, what? And just stormed out. That was, there was a window there for a pretty funny joke, but you missed it. It's closed now. That's okay. This is why we need one another. We're a body. It takes a whole body to make these jokes work sometimes. So, it feels hard to talk about, it can feel dangerous to talk about, and yet I think we probably need to do better at, at naming and acknowledging some of the evil that has been done to us and that we have even been complicit in, in churches. Especially if we are trying to be a church together. So we're going to wade into the mess today, not to resolve it, but just to see some advice that Scripture has for us as we try to follow Jesus with 
and for and in spite of the church. Let me pray for us. Come, Holy Spirit, and give us your wisdom. Give us your clarity, give us your passion. Let us be angry and not sin. Let us love your body in Jesus' name. Amen. To be clear, what I'm, what I'm talking about when I'm talking about hurt, being hurt by a previous church experience, that's not exactly what Paul is addressing in 1 Corinthians. There are no previous churches for the Corinthians. We are still at a very early stage of Christian history when we are talking about the church in Corinth, all the people who confess Christ in the whole city gathered together. There is like no Second Corinthian Baptist that split off from First Corinthian Baptist. There is no like exciting new church with like a one-word name that's very on-trend, effervescence or enigma or, or blockchain. <laughs> Sorry, that one got me. Blockchain church. Uh, in Corinth, there is just this, the one church. But at the same time, Paul is addressing exactly the kinds of conditions in which hurt happens and in which people leave church. Even at this very early stage of the church, there is some fragmentation happening in many churches as some people follow different teachers. They disagree about what they believe. They have political or personal grievances with one another. If you have been around churches for long enough, you have probably seen people get into arguments about some stuff that is crazy. I, I've seen churches throw down over questions like, should the choir wear robes? What color should they be? Should we have like a, a big pulpit or like a little lectern? Kids these days, y'all don't even know about the wars that used to be fought in American churches over whether we should play guitars and drums instead of a pipe organ. I'm only half joking when I say you could write the whole history of the Vineyard Movement as a group of Christians that just really, really wanted to play guitar in church. <laughs> I, was, I was once in a, in a church with a, this little old lady who hated the new drums. And she, she thought they were way too loud and obnoxious. But she refused to move from her pew, which was right in front of the drums, because that was her pew. She had been sitting there for years and years and years. So she, would, she started, before the singing would begin, she would take out like these little earbuds, these earplugs, and like put them into her ears, which was maybe a kind of nice compromise, like a nice discreet little compromise, I guess. But I, I don't think she was trying to be that discreet, because when the, the earplugs weren't getting her point across, she started putting on these like big orange industrial earmuffs, like, like, like the kind, like she had just landed a plane at the airport or something like that. And I was, I mean, I was young. I didn't totally feel responsibility for what was going on in this church. And so I was just kind of like, I cannot wait to see what happens next. I'm just imagining two big pillows and like duct tape around her head every time the, the music comes out. From the outside, these kinds of, of church disputes seem really petty and ridiculous. But they feel big, and the reason they feel big is because what people are really wrestling with is the question, who belongs to this church? Do I belong in this church? Do you belong in this church? If you belong here, can I belong here? 
when we are so different, when your music hurts my ears? And then if I become convinced that you and I can't really be in the same church together, then we start to wonder, well, which one of us really belongs to Christ's body? In addressing the situation in Corinth, Paul is, is facing a version of this question. This is an argument that, that might seem like it is about style or interests or maybe theology, but it has escalated to the point of people asking, who really belongs to Christ? So in 1 Corinthians 3, Paul uses two metaphors to challenge the Corinthians. The, the first is a farming metaphor. In this metaphor, different styles of churches or different teachers might each have their own important part to play. I planted, Apollos watered, but God gave the growth. In this metaphor, God is both the owner and of the field, and he is also the one who actually causes the seed to grow. This is kind of an expansive metaphor. Everyone gets to belong in God's field. Everything that grows does so because of God. So do you belong in the church? Well, are you alive? Are you growing? Then of course you do. God's work doesn't, God doesn't do work in one way or in one place. God's kingdom includes many works and many ways, and they all contribute something to God's plan for us. So that's one answer to the question, which one of us belongs to Christ? All of us, each doing the work and growing in the way that God has made for us. But then Paul switches to a, a second metaphor, which is similar but, but different in some important ways. In this metaphor, Christ is the foundation of a building. And Paul and Apollos and, and everyone else are making their best effort to build on top of this foundation. Let each builder choose with care how to build on it. Some might build well, some might build poorly, but no one can replace the foundation because that foundation is Jesus Christ. And I think Paul's metaphor is really helpful for just trying to, to picture the problem that we face. There is space for anyone, but also this, this space is within the footprint of Jesus' foundation. With Jesus as the foundation, you can build as high as you want for as many people as you want, as creatively as you want. But it's important that Jesus be the foundation. When there are arguments, when there are cracks that start to show up in the church, there are two possibilities. One possibility is that we just haven't built very well on Jesus' foundation. We kind of need to renovate. We need to, to start again. But the other possibility is that people might be building on the wrong foundation, on a foundation other than Jesus. Maybe we are all standing together on Christ and we just disagree about the best way to build. Or maybe we are not all standing together on Christ. And that thought, that possibility is where things start to get really tricky. Are we one big messy family trying to figure out together how to follow Jesus? Or are we not part of the same body at all? That is tough. That is a question we sometimes try really hard to avoid because that question can make even a small dispute turn really ugly. And if you are someone who has seen the church get ugly or if you have been treated in an ugly way by the church, it can be hard to kind of just make sense of your own feelings. It's so complicated. Did, 
did the church do something to me? Was that a false church? Was, was it a church that tried to love me and did a bad job? Was it a church that never really loved me? Did they sin against me? Did I sin against them? Should we be reconciled? Those wounds are so raw. We barely even want to touch them. So in light of all that messiness, I just want to point out three bits of wisdom that, that Paul offers us in, the, in this passage. You could think of these almost as like three paths or three ways that you can follow. Three, three paths we can take as we search for Christ at work in the church. In Paul's imagery, all the construction work that the church has done on top of Jesus, it all needs to be tested in fire. The fire doesn't destroy, it reveals the truth, it makes visible, it refines, it burns away what is crude and insignificant, it leaves what is precious, precious, whatever is anchored to the foundation. Churches always need the fire of the Holy Spirit, but we're not always prepared for when the Holy Spirit burns down, when the Holy Spirit like, makes things fall apart. But we need from time to time to be stripped down again to the basics of following Jesus so that we can see if we're being obedient. Sometimes when there is like a little heat in the church, people look around, they may blame you, the critic, for causing some friction. But if we, if we start to see things crumbling around us, it is quite possible, likely even, that God is the one holding the match. It is always right to help the church return to its foundation, even if that looks like criticism. You do not have any Christian obligation to assume that church is basically good. You do not have a Christian obligation to justify or excuse anything done by any church. If you are criticizing the church because of where it has lost, lost track of its own foundation in Jesus, you are serving Jesus. Building up the church doesn't just mean adding things on top of the church. It can sometimes feel like tearing down for the sake of revealing and refining, returning it to its foundation. That Holy Spirit fire is not just for us now. It is for you as you reflect back on your experiences of the church. What, what is left standing in the end? What remains from your previous experience that was truly God's grace to you? To be crystal clear, just because something happened in a church doesn't necessarily mean it had any connection to Christ. It may burn completely to the ground, and you might discover it was just built on a foundation of sand in the end. We have people at ECV who are so wounded by the things done to them in the name of Christ that have no relation to Christ whatsoever. Among us, we come from churches that taught people to be afraid of other people of other faiths, to, to badger and to argue with every non-Christian that we meet. We come from churches that, that taught us that money would be our strength and joy. We come from churches that asked us to condemn our ancestors, to reject our culture, to hate our skin, to imitate someone else's way of life. We come from churches that were cheerleaders for war and brutality. 
We come from churches where people argued that they should have the right to conceal carry their guns in the sanctuary. We come from churches that did sell out Christ for more cultural influence. We come from churches that taught parents that if their children turned out to be queer or transgender, that that child was betraying the family and God and should be treated like a traitor. We come from churches governed by some of the most arrogant old men who could speak Greek or Latin or German but never knew how to speak to our suffering. We come from churches that treated women like they were useful animals, more so than treating them like humans who have the fullness of the Holy Spirit. We come from churches that have worshipped pastors, that worshipped politicians, that worshipped empires, that worshipped themselves. We have at least one person at ECV who grew up in an actual cult that called itself Christian. Not something cult-ish, an actual cult. It makes me so angry. There is nothing that offends God more. Nothing that makes Jesus angry in the Gospels except this. That people would use God's name for their own purposes. That they would steal God's name and associate it with some idol. That they would use it for something that has nothing to do with God. There is nothing that more deserves the word wrath. And God will burn it all to the ground especially when it happened in a church. Some of you need to know that when it comes to your hurt, God is so angry that this happened to you. And for some of you who have maybe been, you just have this lingering kind of funny feeling or deep confusion about the church, maybe you need to follow Jesus into admitting that you hurt like God hurts. Some of you have had such lovely experiences in churches. They have nurtured you and cared for you. Praise the Lord for that. But you will have to have some patience for those of us who are still wondering why we're here. When we were once determined to just never set foot in a church again. Paul ends his, his metaphor about the building with this really intriguing line. That someone who builds badly on top of Jesus will still be saved. The foundation is strong enough to hold, even if all of their work burns up. The love of God is more true of us than all of our failures. Because of God's love, then, we should never assume that all this burning down is just for the sake of humiliating and punishing people that deceived us. It is also for their sake. It is, if they are not grounded in Jesus, then they have a chance to make a foundation in him, and if they are grounded in Jesus, then, then no amount of fire can take that away from them. And so it is our task to criticize the church not for the sake of retribution, but to love it as God loves it. To refine it, to bring it back to Jesus. A few weeks ago, I was, I was talking uh, with a woman, probably in her, in her mid-60s, this is not someone at, at ECV, and she suddenly started telling me about how she was um, really demeaned and even sexually harassed while she was working on the staff of a well-known megachurch in the 1980s. And she said, 
she had been thinking about writing a letter to this church just to talk about her experience. But she still, she still wasn't sure whether that was right or not, and whether she would like, be causing a kind of unnecessary harm by reopening these, these very old wounds. And what I could honestly tell her is, I, I don't know if you should write this letter or not. But you will have to decide that for yourself. But I do know that there is freedom in Christ for you either way. And part of that freedom is that you should know that if you do write this letter, you will be doing it for Jesus' sake. And thus, for the good of the church. All truth belongs to God. We can feel confident that revealing the truth serves God's kingdom purposes. A second pathway for us. Look, I like, I like criticizing churches and pastors as much as anybody. But in Paul's argument, this refining fire is for all of us. It is not just for those in power. All of us will have to return to the foundation of Christ in us. We will have to go back to the source. We will all have to drink deeply of the living water of the Holy Spirit has poured into us. Neither the one who plants nor the one who waters is anything, Paul writes, but only God who gives the growth. Another way to put it is that, look, God gave us the seeds and God gave us the water and God made a world in which seeds and water and sunshine lead to growth. So he clarifies, there, there is no room for anyone to boast. There's no room to lord over other people. That's not because you are nothing, but because you all equally have everything. God has made it so. God has poured out his spirit, his very presence on you, and so everything is yours. Everything good that God does is your inheritance. When we rightly criticize the church, we then maybe are tempted to think it's because we have a little bit more everything than everybody else. A little more insight, a little more education, a little more righteousness. But all insight and all wisdom and all righteousness is already for you because it all sprang up from the fountain of God's truth. Everything that is truly wise and insightful is doing God's work, whether anyone knows it or not. If you have discovered a really profound critique of the church from outside of the church, that is a gift. But ultimately, it is a gift from Christ. And if you want to use it in a way that will bless yourself and others, then locate it in God, in the Holy Spirit, pouring out truth in your heart. So in our own refinement, the question then becomes, do you want Christ as your foundation? Do you want to drink deeply of his Holy Spirit? Sometimes I, I meet strangers who have been really hurt by the church. And when they find out I'm a pastor, uh, they get suddenly really hostile. I remember going to a friend's party once, and, and a woman that I had, like, just met was, says, you probably want me to go to your church, right? But why should I? What do I need church for? I have friends who love me. I meditate. I'm in tune with my spirituality. I give to charity. What's wrong with my life? What do I need you and your church for? And I was like, nice to meet you. <laughs> you know where we're putting the coats at this party? Or I'll just set it down over here. And then I'd love to talk to you. And in summary, what I told her is that 
whether you need the church or not, it sounds like you have a church, and you're quite happy with it. The real question then is, so what does your church worship? Humans are, are churching creatures. We, we are all churching all the time. Like the Corinthians, we will never stop being thirsty for community, for spirituality, for wisdom. We'll never stop having beliefs. We'll never stop giving our hearts over to some hope. There are communities and spiritualities and wisdoms and churches that belong to Christ and others that don't. The question is not whether you will or won't church. You definitely will, in some form or another. The question is, what do you want that church to worship? Is it Jesus or is it something else? Seek Christ and you will find him. You will find him. But seek something else and you will find something else. God is not asking you to design a perfect church. You may never be clear on the best way to do church, but God will put to you the question, who do you say Christ is? And if you don't want anything to do with Christ, then yeah, you will probably not enjoy a Christian church. But if you are interested in Jesus even a little, it is inevitable in a way that eventually you will be drawn back into community with other people interested in Jesus. You will gather around this living water with everyone who is eager to be healed and refreshed. You can, you can call it whatever you want then, but secretly, that's a church. That moment that you and someone else start seeking Jesus together, I'm sorry, you just planted a church. And you will almost certainly find some resources in following this Jesus in one of the many Christian churches that already exist. Follow the stream of the Spirit and you will eventually wind your way back to its source, back to the body of Christ. Finally, one last word for us. So I've kind of been encouraging you to refine, to parse, to get down to the foundations of, of Jesus in the church and in your life. But none of that is easy or fast or intuitive work. Clearing away all this rubble to kind of get down to the foundation, that can take years, and it can take a lot of help from one another. In that process, we will have to trust that somewhere beneath our feet, under all this debris, there is the steady hand of God holding us. We won't always be sure what will last and what will burn, but that's okay. If we are seeking Christ, we will find him, and we can entrust ourselves to the secure foundation of Christ. We will, as Paul describes, we will have to suspend judgment. We will have to withhold condemnation at times of others and even of ourselves. I do not even judge myself, Paul says. We will have to stop standing in judgment over what our experiences should have been and simply admit what our experiences have been. Then, even as we are trying to build something together in honesty, we will never know if we are getting it 100% right. Even Paul says, I, I can't think of anything I need to apologize for right now, but that doesn't mean I'm totally innocent. I am trusting in the love and forgiveness of God. I don't have to build perfectly. I don't have to clean up all the debris. The foundation remains there, and the foundation can hold me. 
And that is the deep beauty of the church. Some of you, uh, you may remember a story. The story came out of Spain a few years ago. Um, it was about a former monk who had decided, he had set out to build years ago a cathedral in his hometown by hand. And so he started building and he kept building for over 50 years. He did all of the work by hand, mostly by himself, using discarded construction material, using like old bits of brick and old oil drums and basically just trash that he found lying around. So I want to see, Todd, would you uh, turn off the lights? I want to show you a video clip of this man. His name is uh, Justo Gallego Martinez. Empecé a construir esta catedral, todos los corrillos, era eso, que yo estaba loco. Y no se creían que yo iba a ser tan constante y bueno, les estoy dando como un revés a la gente. Y eso me agrada porque para que vean que cuando un hombre confía en Cristo, he nacido en el año 1925, Y llevo construyendo esta catedral 53 años. Yo cuando empecé a, a empezar la catedral era joven, ahora ya mayor, porque a las nueve ya es mucho. No he estudiado la arquitectura, soy un labrador. Tenemos ahí salones parroquiales, los claustros, tengo un batisterio, que es la entrada, en esa cúpula y la crista, claro, con una, una escalinata que no, no la hay en Madrid, esa. Es I just want you to catch kind of what he was saying there in the broken up parts at the end, that it was impossible that I will ever finish this in my lifetime. And so I want to leave it in the divine hand and let God carry on with it. There's, to me, something so beautiful in that. And it's not beautiful because the building is perfect. Somehow, the messiness is its own kind of beauty. For the whole time that this man, Don Justo, was, was constructing this cathedral, people were criticizing him. This is stupid. This is ugly. This is a waste of resources. This is vanity. This is ego. You're going to get hurt. This is loco. Even now, you could say, well, I mean, that's very sweet, but that building is a hazard. There is no way that that thing is up to code. 
And you know, some of those criticisms may have some truth. I don't know. But what will last about the building is not its physical construction, but whatever was built on Christ. Its real foundation is in whatever led Don Justo to build this cathedral so that people might know a truth about Christ. That they might see this building and it might make them give glory to God. And after a lifetime of work, it's unfinished. And Don Justo has to say, well, I did my best, but now I'm just going to leave it in God's hands. And that's also the beautiful thing. That we would build and build and not always be sure if what we, will build, what we build will stand or whether it should stand, but we know that we can one day return it into the hands of Jesus. Because God is before us and God is after us and our work is always unfinished. But it can still be beautiful. I want to invite the worship team up to the front. And, uh, and Heidi, I'll have you in a moment uh, help me lead us in a time of prayer. But before we worship God through song again, I just want to take a moment in silence for you to sit before the Lord. Recall what Tina was praying over you earlier. Invite God to tell you, to speak over to you, that you belong. You may have a lot of questions, a lot of feelings about the past, a lot of things that are difficult to put into words. God doesn't need words from you. He just just wants you to know that he is your foundation. And so let's sit for a moment in silence and feel God as the foundation beneath you.